With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ that we are able to partake in your word, Lord, that we are, we are able, Lord, another day to lift up your name in fellowship. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you continue to keep us on the beaten path. I'm asking, Lord, that you show us all things that we need to do that are pleasing to you. And I'm asking every day you expose the sin in our lives and things that are going on, that we may be transformed and made whole, Lord, because you said that, Lord, that we are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, Lord, of course, with love, but definitely with truth. So I'm asking, Lord, that we just continue to walk in your ways. I'm asking that because the attacks, Lord, have been going against this ministry, because they've been going against the body of Christ all over the world, I'm asking, Lord, that you raise a standard against it like you always said you would, Lord. I'm asking, Lord, that you cast down all demonic spirits, Lord, that make people sick. Lord, all principalities and powers, Lord, all spirits of unbelief, all foul spirits, all unclean spirits, all spirits, Lord, of rejection, all spirits that are anti-Christ, Lord, knock them down, Lord, like bowling pins, and Lord, place yourself above them because you are. I'm asking, Lord, that the authority that you have, Lord, that you grant unto us, that we may go into it as mighty men and women of God to do a mission impossible. Let the Holy Ghost fall, Lord, let it fall mightily. Lord, I'm asking that you keep us in the peace, Lord, that surpasses all understanding. For these are the times, Lord, that try men's souls. I'm asking, Lord, for the enemy that comes against marriages, Lord, let them be bound in the name of Jesus. For all the sickness, Lord, that the enemy tries to place on your people, let them be bound. All confusion, Lord, all backbiting, all hatred, Lord, all seducing spirits, all spirits of lust, all spirits, Lord, that are so against you, Lord. I'm asking that you bind them. Lord, let your anointing be placed on this ministry, Lord, and other members who believe. I'm asking, Lord, that you make your path clear, that we know where to go. We know what to say. We know how to yield to your spirit, Lord, for the Holy Ghost is the only way back. And I'm asking, Lord, that you send him now. Send him with all power, signs, and wonders if need be. But, Lord, allow us to partake in your spirit and take not your spirit away from us, not because we are worthy, Lord, or we're not, but we're, we're so unworthy, but it's all about you, Lord. It's all about what you desire, for Christ in us is the hope of glory. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy to be praised, worthy of all praises. Lord, I'm asking that you do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called There's Power in the Blood of Jesus. You know, I think at times um, I was led to this study. I didn't want to really, it wasn't on my mind of things to do. I had two other things 
that I wanted to present tonight, but I believe that the Lord wanted me to get into it because every now and then I know we go off with our knowledge and we try and explore so much and the unknown and all this other stuff. But sometimes we can truly miss what the Bible says is the simplicity in Jesus Christ. Do you know, what is the blood? What does that mean? What work did he do 2,000 years ago that was for the time before his arrival in the flesh and after and through all eternity? So I think we just need to give him the glory. I think we need to uplift his name and we need to really understand what the power is in the blood. Because as Solomon says, uh, what has been will be again. And what's, what's been, you know, what has been will be again. What's been done will be done again. So I know that, you know, the way that the blood was used in the past is going to be definitely needed today. And one thing we want to have when the enemy comes upon us is to see the blood of Jesus. Okay, so before we get going, um, I'm not sure who's going to go first. Do you have anything on there? All right. So um, I guess uh, Carlin or James, whoever goes first. And then we'll get right into the lesson. study today is um, to talk about your house um, and how you how you take care of your house <clears throat> um, so first I wanted to talk about how uh, some of the things that we might do like um, uh, we might ride a bike and sometimes when we ride a bike we fall and when we fall we scuff ourselves and when we when we scuff ourselves up uh, we might think of that as like a, a way of correction we get up and we think we got to be more safe we got to be more we got to ride our bikes better. We got to do better. We got to be a better bike rider. So essentially, that's that's kind of like the same way in 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 um, going about life. You know, you think that if you mess up, your, your conscience is kind of like beating up at you. You know, it scuffs you sometimes. It's like uh, I I got to do better. You know, I, I got to get back up and I got to do what's right. You know, it's and that's a connection in terms of building your house. You know. When you when your house when you're building your house, you usually build it um, in terms of bettering yourself. If your house is right, then the outside of your house will look right too. It's the same thing in terms of when the scripture says you make the inside of yourself clean, that the outside will appear clean also. So, in this in this um, situation, we're going to turn to uh, John. Three, three. Let's turn to John. No, actually, it's, it's John eight. Let's turn to John eight, and let's start at. Let's start at the very first verse. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the, the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman ta has taken, was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus... <clears throat> 
But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. So essentially, it, is, it was on their mind to try to condemn somebody because of their fault. They saw that she, uh, in the act, she was committing adultery. So they took it upon themselves for some reason to, to accuse her and try to stone her. But here you have, this is um, Christ telling them, uh, he who was without sin cast the first stone. So all of them, their, their conscience, got it by conviction, their conscience spoke to them, and they all put down their stones. But there was only one stone remaining, and that was Christ. So essentially, if he wanted to, he could have cast himself upon her, but he did not. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those, that, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So essentially, it's it's kind of like saying, um, do, do better. You know, it's like um, the same um, passage, which we'll go next, is John 3, 3. in my mind. But it's the passage where um, I could have slipped my mind so quickly. What is it about? Uh, it's the passage where um, wow, it just slipped my mind. Um, Oh, it's the passage where I uh, got it. It's the passage where John the Baptist tells he goes about telling people, "Prepare ye the way of the Lord." So he's going around preaching people, saying, "Prepare your, get your your uh, self ready." Mm -hmm. So it's essentially saying, "Get your temple right, get your house right," because when your temple is right, um, our our bodies is God's, it's His. So He comes uh, when our when our body is ready. When our body is available, he can use us as a vessel. If our house is not clean, how can somebody come in and be welcomed? How can they be invited? So that's essentially the same thing. So when we go about life and we might make, uh, we might make a mistake, uh, Christ is merciful. He tells us, um, get back up again. Um, if, you, if a just man falls seven times, he'll get back up and you know, he'll, he'll do what's right. So that's essentially... Um, um, where I'm going. Let's go one more passage and let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Start at 19. Now this passage um, is speaking of 
who the cornerstone is. So it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the house of God, and are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So every, we, you, you can kind of think of it as us ourselves are a stone. And each time we are going about building, building our house, as we're going about life carrying ourselves in a godly manner, we're um, building the, the house of God. We are each a, a stone of the house of God. So that's how we're supposed to continue to carry ourselves to be that stone to be used. Go ahead and turn to Colossians, and we'll start at one twenty-one. There's another scripture. Colossians one twenty-one. Yeah. All right. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, and then that's what something that Paul's saying. But I just wanted to go ahead and start us off there. But, um,. I'm going to go ahead and flip back to Philippians. You guys don't have to, but it's going to be 1 Philippians uh, 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Alright, so we'll just flip back to Colossians, and then we're going to jump down to 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known that is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which... Is Christ in you the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus? Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. Uh, so I thought this was like, I don't know, I didn't even know that you were going to present on the temples, but I feel like this is already falling right in line, just keeping yourself right with the Lord. All right, let's jump over to. 2 and 2. Um, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto, the, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, now, 2, 6, 
As ye have therefore, ooh, hold up. I'm sorry. Yep. As ye have therefore received Christ in the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So that's why during work. I had somebody come in and just like profess to me just like how excited and ecstatic they were that Donald Trump was in in office, you know, and like for me, I, I partly I thought he was kidding. But I mean, I just went along with it and just tried to stay aligned with Christ. And I was like, you know what? I'm super happy that you're happy, essentially, you know, but obviously I know that my faith and everything that I rest on is not in any president. It's in Christ. He's the true president, you know. He runs everything, all principalities, all powers. But, um, right. Sorry, I just lost me. What was this, eight? Mile eight? Uh, yes, you just did eight. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So this is obviously not a bodily circumcision, but inside, inside your spirit. And putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Wow. Man. Sorry, that's... For me, that's just incredible. I'm sorry. Um, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which is contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So. Alright, I'm going to have you guys jump over to 220 for a second. Um, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as, though li- why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Alright, I'm going to have you guys jump over to 3-1. If ye then be raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, obviously not actually don't mortify, but almost put away like crucifying the flesh mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication uncleanliness inordinate affection evil concupiscence i think that's like like sexual desire and covetous which is idolatry for which things sake the wrath of god cometh on the children of disobedience and the in the which he also walked some time when ye lived in them but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. 
So this really becomes easy when you're truly just living not with yourself. Honestly, just removing yourself and letting Christ be the one that's in you, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, um, idolatry, I feel like that can really be a lot of things in this world, you know? It is. And for me, um, lately, as I have on these blazer sweats, but the other night, like, I woke up, and I just looked around, and I noticed, like, I have a trailblazers poster here, a blazers poster here, and a blazers poster here. So just the other day, you know, like, I, I've been doing my study. I came across it, and it all had to come down, you know. I'm not saying, like, I don't know, don't throw away things that you care about if you're not ready for that step. But I do think eventually when you are, the Lord will lead you there. He will reveal those things in your life that are holding you back from him being the potter in your life, you know. All right. Um, yeah, so keep your mind on the truth of the Lord, but I'll have you guys jump. Oh, I guess we're going to keep going and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, like the fruits of the Spirit, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. So um, that charity is also love, you know, and um, I just think, well, I don't think, but the more you start to develop that love for Jesus Christ, you're going to continue to make more room for him in your life, and that love, like, it's it's a marriage, like, it's not going to be something that you're trying to do, like, I, it wasn't hard for me to rip down those posters, you know, it was actually really easy to make more room. Alright, so... Keep going. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Oops. Giving giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So, go down to 323. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So this is also, too, um, just remembering that even when you go to work and stuff like that, like, you're not working for those people that are above you, you know? Like, you're working for the Lord, so never get who you are out of that. That is not your personality. Your personality is who God told you and created you to be. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So I didn't realize I was going so long, Derek, like, Mm-hmm. My bad. I have a couple more scriptures. It's cool, man. Okay. Yeah. Cool. My bad. I... Yeah, it's time for your own study. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's cool, man. I only got a couple more, though. I'll, I'll fly by it. Um, so, 4 2. Um, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. 
four five. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know may know how ye ought to answer every man. So I'd honestly just like stay in the gospel, like whenever you're talking to people, like don't let them pull you out, like into your carnal mind, like stay in your spirit and preach the gospel. All right, but uh, so Philippians one nine. Just right next door. Um, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. 21 and 22. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. And then I'm just going to go to Galatians real quick. Sorry, I'm having you guys bounce around so much. And then 6, 8. Um, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Sorry I went so long. Yeah, that's cool. You set the tone. I have your blazer posters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. I was thinking about it. Hey, I've been hearing the same type of stuff, too. Like, you know... My whole martial arts collection I got, you know, and all that stuff. It's like, I'm hearing the Lord talk to me, but I'm kind of like, I want to make sure that this is what he's telling me to do. But, so, you know, it's all about breaking through stuff and getting through it. But, again, tonight's study is um, called Power in the Blood of Jesus. So, let's get started in Isaiah 53. You know, we'll talk about the crucifixion. And uh, we're going to get into some scripture how... It's so funny how that ever since Adam and Eve fell, that it's been taken, it has taken a blood atonement to, I mean, for remission of sins, I mean, all the way through. So I I think that's where we're going to get started in Isaiah 53. And after that, we'll probably go to Genesis 4. All right. Everybody there? All right. Isaiah 53 and verse 1, and it says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So when he's asking who believed this report, it's like, you know, there are people today, you even got scientists talking about, they don't even know if Jesus Christ existed. (laughs) You know, you got these lion scientists and anthropologists and all these guys, oh, well, we're not exactly sure he could have been anybody. Now they're trying to say that he was Joshua. They can dig up bones of Joshua saying that Joshua and Jesus are the same character. You know, and just all kinds of nonsense. But this is why Isaiah is saying, who have believed our report? Because this is only for those who believe. You know, and then it says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So again, you know, we're going to make this clear because a lot of people like to paint pictures of Jesus being, you know, Ron's Adonis or something else, you know, like the way they try and paint him. 
The Bible makes very clear that Jesus was ugly. He was unattractive. There was no form, no comeliness. There was nothing about Jesus Christ to be desired. It's just like if you were to look at a lamb, you know, nothing about the lamb to be desired. He's fuzzy. He's docile, you know, pretty much don't know a whole lot, just there for the slaughter. But, you know, our Lord is brilliant. But I'm just saying overall that that's what they're saying. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if we were our faces from him. Uh, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So Jesus was very unattractive. They hid their faces from him. You know, um, it's talked about him being um, despised and rejected. If you look at really following the Lord and doing what he tells us to do, to go out and preach the word and do all this stuff, I mean, you can expect the same fate. You will be a person of many sorrows because, I mean, not, not sorrowful as far as the world is concerned, I mean, or, or, or in the spirit, but as far as the world is concerned, people are going to hate your guts. I mean, this is an unpopular thing just to bring the truth in who Jesus is. You already know from trying to tell people, I mean, you're going to experience this. So then it says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his, and with his stripes uh, we were healed. So we understand he was smitten, he was stricken, all these things happened, bruised for our transgressions. We don't even like to be able to have anyone blame us for anything. We don't even like to take the debt for someone else. But think about the fact that a life on the line, and I mean, like I said, Hollywood did him a service. I mean, probably with Passion of the Christ showing the crucifixion, but believe me, it was far worse than that. I mean, if you guys, are, they couldn't put what actually happened. I mean, if, if anybody was alive to record it, it was, it was beyond your wildest imaginations to have a human body broken and mutilated and beat up like that. James sent me a, um, I think it was a link, and it was talking about the crucifixion of Christ, and it was analyzed by what was it like doctors or people like yeah, was, you know uh, people who studied how he was um actually uh, right. crucified and, and uh, yeah and it was like the amount of pain that he went through saying that he couldn't even stretch his legs out because of the fact that you know um that's the way they have you set up yeah it was concerning so, his, uh, his breathing exactly and i mean imagine when we do squats we got trembling legs but he was up there for hours i mean not just that he was flogged the night before and then flogged that day. And I mean, you can imagine the, the loss of blood. And the cat of nine tails is no joke. I mean, they show you some of that stuff on TV. But there is no way to hit someone with the cat of nine tails and not tear their skin off. I mean, even with the lightest of brushes, something's coming off. So I'm just saying with all of this, the fact that he was beaten, he was kicked. I mean, spat on. And I know they like to paint pictures of Jesus with some rags on. But... He was stripped naked. And the Bible says that he hated, he, he despised his shame because the Bible makes clear he could have called 10 legions or 12 legions of angels and just ended the whole ordeal. But I mean, the fact that he thought of you and me and it wasn't even his fault. Imagine a creator stepping into his creation and suffering everything we did yet without sin. I mean, I think he's worthy of all praises, mm -hmm. you know. All right, anyway, and it says... 
uh, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what he got, we were supposed to get. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her shearers is dumb, and uh, so he opened not his mouth. And the Bible makes clear, when they were asking him all kinds of ridiculous questions that he'd already answered, the only questions that he did answer is, are you the son of God? And, you know, he you got to confess that if you're God. But he confessed that and said, yeah, but all those other ridiculous questions, he didn't even bother to get into. Yeah, I think it was, it makes me think that um, also because he, he wasn't, he wasn't here to defend his case. That's right. He was here to be a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, so he didn't, he didn't speak a word. And even when you study who this Barabbas is, you know, I did make a mistake because I said Barabbas' name was also Jesus. There's no evidence to support that, but the name Barabbas means son of the father. So he would have been like a type of antichrist that the people chose. This guy was a murderer, an agitator, you know, involved in so many different things. And the people hated Jesus so much that they chose the alternative. So that's what the Bible means by the spirit of antichrist, because you won't exactly seek Jesus. You look for people like Alex Jones. You look for people like Donald Trump. You look for other saviors in the world, you know, that have nothing to do with Jesus. I would love to go on CNN or one of those shows while they're sitting there with their debates. I'll ask them just one quick question. So what do y'all think of Jesus up in here? You see, they, they avoid all that kind of stuff. But all right, let's find out if you really are a man of God or a man out for justice. What do you think of him? You know, and they're not expected to answer those questions. So that's why those guys will go on with their babbling. But if anybody takes this election serious with all this stuff going on, I mean, it was like watching cartoon characters on stage. It was a reality TV show. But this is how dumb they think the masses are to buy into this. Yeah, um, it's, it's like um, when that situation happened, when they were calling out to crucify Christ. Mm -hmm. um, they were it was like the people basically... Um, said we want sin and we want Christ gone basically yeah. they want to live their lives they want to do them the same promise that Adam and Eve yeah. had you know this is what they want you shall be as gods knowing good and evil uh, where am I verse 9 uh, eight. okay eight. he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his uh, generation for he was cut out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Can you imagine? I mean, going through your whole life, never having any deceit, even for parents that claim they love their children. Oh, if you do this for me, I'll buy you an ice cream. That's deceit. Okay, so even as far as something like that, imagine whatever he said was just meaningful. It meant something. It was life. It was something to take heed to. I mean, we can't even imagine what that's like. But I heard one pastor say, and this is true, if we did less talking, there'd be less deceit in our mouths. Because sometimes we just let our tongues fly and we don't really think about what we said. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is the father. And that word for bruise in the Hebrew means crushed. Uh, he, uh, he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, 
and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So, you know, imagine a father having to destroy his own son. The reason why we don't think of God's feelings is because we think because the Bible says God is all-powerful and all-knowing that surely he can take it. But think about it. If he's all-powerful and all-knowing, that means his heart is magnified beyond our understanding. That means if you think your heart hurts when someone does something to you, imagine what he feels when something happens to him. But to have the control to not react according to emotion, because he sees the beginning from the end. I mean, what an awesome God, just to even think of that. Like, okay, yeah, he did something that really makes me want to, you know, whip his butt, but I'm just going to be cool. Why? Because I know the beginning from the end. They're coming along. I'm going to give them a chance, just like I've given everyone else. What's really uh, interesting, too, about this is that this is Isaiah. Mm -hmm. from too. This is hundreds and hundreds of years. 700 years, that's right. So all the people that were there that were uh, there involved in, the, in cruci being crucified mm -hmm. knew full well what was going on. Oh, yeah. If they could just look back, the book's right there. It's, it's spelling it out exactly word for word mm -hmm. what they're doing. It's amazing to think that uh, they just followed exactly along with it. Oh, yeah, and you have in Judaism, they still don't believe, even though all the signs and wonders were there. And that's why the Bible says a wicked and perverse generation seeketh a sign. Because even if the Lord did reveal himself right in front of them and, and, and perform the miracles that the Bible says, you got people that still wouldn't believe. So that's why he's not given any more signs of these things. I mean, unless, you know, you believe that he was three days and three nights in the belly of... I mean, in the uh, heart of the earth, and he resurrected. And you, you know that he's your Lord and Savior for eternal life. One thing he's not going to do is try and go out of his way to show us. I mean, he will give us his glove, his grace, his mercy. But see, an interesting thing about God is it's like a mountain. Like I heard um, A.A. A. Allen say that when the mountain is far away, it looks like it's small, but obviously the mountain is the same size. The closer you get to the mountain, then you recognize how big it really is. But it's like, you know, in order to know God, it's like he pulls you in slowly, a little bit at a time. The more it gets revealed to you, then your reality becomes greater than what you see in front of you. Then you know he exists, and no one can tell you he doesn't. And that's why when miracles are performed and the Lord does real things before us, I mean, you know, when God does something to you and through you, when this Bible becomes your testimony, then, you know, no one can tell you God is not real. You know, you're going to say, I saw it. I was there. I saw the leg grow back. I went down to the morgue and I laid hands on this guy. He was already embalmed and back he is. I mean, you know, these are things that it, when these realities happen in our lives, when the Lord really begins to speak to you like I'm speaking to everyone here, man, then no one can tell you God is not real. And that's why the Bible talks about the natural man. He can't receive this because he just can't escape what his mind is telling him that this is the only reality. All right, so from here, let's go to Genesis 4. This is right after the fall of Adam and Eve. And, um, you know, ever since that day where they fell and they did their thing, you know, the Lord had always had to do something, you know, to compensate for man's sin. <laughs> Right, Genesis 4, and this is verse 1, and it says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, and she again bare his brother Abel, 
and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So what you see here is two different types of nature. We've gone over this before. Abel is a shepherd. He takes care of the sheep. He protects. He nurtures. You know, he does everything he's supposed to do. But Cain's a tiller of the ground. So not only is Cain like a type of farmer, a tiller of the ground, Cain also has a lowly type of nature. And this is why the Bible is telling you exactly what it is that they did. All right? This is the earthly man from the spiritual man. Because the spiritual man does things in love. The earthly man is all about self. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and, and unto his offering. But unto Cain, his offering was he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. So we understand here again. This isn't really the subject tonight, but Abel gave the Lord the best of his flock. He gave him, you know, in today's terms, the best prayer, the best time, total obedience in the spirit, doing everything that the Lord wanted him to do. And he was accepted. But Cain would be like in today's standards. I'll give you a little church every now and then. You know, I'll give you a now I lay me down to sleep every now and then. Right. You know, and, and, and pretty much he didn't want to give the Lord his best. He said, well, this is good enough for you. Take this, you know, and the Lord rejected his offer. Why? Because, you know, what holds true here in this story holds true all through history. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. But, you know, Cain obviously loved what he had more than God. Abel gave it over anyways, recognizing that, hey, God gave it to me anyways, so you might as well take it. All right, so then it says, But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, oh, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, uh, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Now, the Lord just had a discussion with Cain. He just got finished telling him, look, all you got to do is what I'm asking you, and everything will be fine with us. So look at how much Cain paid attention. Verse 8, when Cain talked with his brother Abel, oh, um, Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? So now he's even getting smart with the Lord. And the Lord says, Your brother's blood crieth from the land. The point I'm making here, too, is two different types of nature. Cain, and see, a lot of us will look at this story and say, If Cain spoke to the Lord and he heard the Lord, why didn't he just listen? But see, if you were in Cain's place and we weren't saved, we would do the exact same thing, you know, because God is always talking, always giving grace, always doing things to help us out. But if you read later in this chapter, Cain didn't even feel bad when, when the Lord told him what his sentence would be. Cain said, this is more than I can bear. But he never once thought about his brother Abel. He never even showed any remorse. All he thought of was self. So, you know, according to this, the point I wanted to make, I didn't really want to go here, but it's a good time to bring up. These two different types of nature, they run in all of us. You know, we were all Cain at one point. Now we're trying to be Abel, which is who was total obedient. I mean, totally obedient to the Lord. This is also a sign of Christ, and this is a sign of Antichrist. 
But, you know, from this day, they gave offerings unto the Lord, which meant what Adam and Eve did was no small thing. There had to be blood, a blood debt to be paid so that they could move forward. It wasn't going to just be, all right, you send, uh, I'll just hang around with you guys until Jesus Christ comes. No, there was, there was sin, and sin is paid by blood. All right, so from here, um, let's go to... Let's go to Exodus 12 and verse 1. Exodus 12 and 1, and it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you, and, um, unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take uh, to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So per house, there had to be a sacrifice. The reason for this was, in the, in the previous chapter, Moses learned because the Lord told him that Pharaoh wanted to kill every firstborn of the, um, the Israelites. You know, for whatever reason he wanted to do it, he wanted to kill them. And the Lord pretty much turned what he was going to do against him. So the Lord is instructing them what to do so that this won't happen to them. All right, verse 4. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house, unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, so this lamb should be unspotted. Now, I want you to take this into the time of Jesus. If he was the lamb or like a lamb, Jesus had no sin making him the perfect sacrifice for us, which we're going to read later. A male of the first year, yet uh, ye shall take, uh, take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourth or the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill, shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take, yeah, even the time he died. Three days afterwards. Mm-hmm. Three days afterwards, and even the time he died, Jesus, they believe it was around 6 p.m., you know, or the ninth hour, they would call it or whatever, but this is what um, happened with him. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, a roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Eat not of the raw, uh, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the uh, pertinence thereof, like the fullness thereof, verse uh, 10. And ye shall uh, let nothing and nothing in it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth uh, of it unto the morning ye shall burn with fire. And then shall ye eat, and your loins girded, your shoes and your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat in haste in the Lord's Passover. Now look at this. 
This dot only mentions some of the armor, but it also talks about with the staff in hand that this is your authority. So this is what, what they're talking about. If you were to take Jesus as this sacrificial lamb, and it said being girded up in your shoes on your feet, you know, being girded up would be your loins with truth. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, the life. And then you have your shoes on your feet, almost like your preparation shod with the gospel of peace. And then you have, I mean, you guys could go to Ephesians 6 when you um, in your spare time. But it says, in the staff in your hand, and ye shall eat in haste. And it is the Lord's Passover. What a lot of people don't know, too, is Jesus was sacrificed on the Passover. Okay, it was during that time. So, you know, he was just like the lamb. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, and I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be um, to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So even though this happened before, this is also a picture of the end times. The Lord said he himself would come across and he would go across everybody. For those that were covered in the blood, which would represent the blood of Jesus, he would pass over them. You've been excused because you have taken part of, you know, you accept the sacrifice, the gift that the Lord gives. But for those who hadn't, you know, they were all going to be killed. So, I mean, that's just interesting to think about because if you were to take that into today's time, I mean, you know, people don't want to acknowledge that wicked times are coming, but, I mean, this is what it is. You know, things are going to get real bad, and whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not means absolutely nothing. The fact of the matter is, devil, the devil is no respecter of persons. So, I mean, if we accept the gift that the Lord gives us, and we're covered by the blood, I know that I've done lots of things in my life where I've gotten almost, I should have gotten my full self killed. Okay, there were so many things that went on in my life where I was just somewhere maybe minutes before something happened and I just decided to leave. And then you hear the next day in school, you know, two friends of yours were shot on the corner of 125th and Lexington. I'm just saying, you never know. I mean, I was baptized as a kid, even though I didn't have a lot of understanding. But I believe the Lord knew I was going to come to him later. And you don't know what grace and mercy he puts on us because Jesus says in Matthew and in, in John 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. So we got to recognize that the devil every day is trying to kill you. And it's the mercy and, and the, the glory of God and his love is the reason why the enemy can't do it. I know that's hard to believe, but believe me, we're in a spiritual warfare every single day. So if no one has anything to add, um, if they have something to add, they can. If not... Um, you know, there's some other things. Noah himself, because we don't have time to go into all of this, but Noah himself, well, the first thing he did when he departed the ark, it's in um, Genesis 6 and 16. But when he departed the ark, the first thing he did was make an altar. So he had a new covenant with the Lord that the Lord would never flood the earth like this again. He told him what kind of foods that he could eat. You know, I think that was the first time that they were able to actually eat meat. Okay, but... Even Noah and his covenant, this went on. Now we're going to go to Abraham's covenant. So let's go to Genesis 22 and verse 1.
everybody there. Genesis 22 and 1, and it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now imagine the Lord talking to you direct like that. Nobody ready for that, huh? Verse 2, And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, which is a donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the Lord for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Now, imagine the Lord telling you, offer up your son, that a 90-year-old woman, your wife, was able to have. I mean, Isaac just made it in by the skin of his teeth, but the Lord promised us. The Lord said, offer your son unto me. Abraham grabbed that knife, took that rope, trusted in the Lord totally. There was no argument here. Lord, if this is what you want, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. I mean, think about it. We try and fight to keep the Lord away from our kids and things like that that we do. Man, you know, the Lord gives you something, offer it back up. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, a lot of people believe, and so do I, that where Abraham was going to make the sacrifice was the exact same place that Jesus Christ was at this time because it had a different name. So when he was laying on the cross on Golgotha, the place of the skull, this is the exact same place where Abraham is about to make the sacrifice. All right, verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took a fire and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they both went. I mean, they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac doesn't even know he's being offered up here. He's looking for a lamb. His father didn't even share it with him. Verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both, uh, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him, told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. So at this time, God was looking for a particular people that would obey him. Now, you know, the father, the father of, of, of just about every family really defines that family. I know a lot of people think it may be mothers and other things like that. No, you find a lot of girls who grew up close to their dad. They have a lot of confidence when they grow up with the dad. If the dad is a tough guy in the family or one that can endure and deal with a lot, 
the family will be tough. I'm telling you firsthand that this is how it is. The father, because he is the patriarch, that the identity of the family goes directly after the father. So, I mean, Abraham, you know, the Lord found a, a loyal man, a man that would do anything. So he said, okay, since you're offering me this, your people will be my people. And from here, I'm going to give you an offering, which is my son. So, I mean, it's going to all come together. I just got to um, move along. But let's go to Exodus 24 and verse 1. Imagine holding nothing back from God. Those are the people that receive that true power, like a living dynamo for the Lord. And Abraham was blessed. I mean, everybody that came out of his loins, whether it was Isaac, Ishmael, um, the other wives that he had later on, you know, after Sarah, all of them became blessed nations. All right, Exodus 24, we'll start at verse 1, and it says, and he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not uh, come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, all the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 is always the Lord's number of completion. Well, not exactly completion, but government. You look at the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples, 12 parts day, 12 parts night. You know, uh, 1,440 minutes in a day. I mean, how can you not believe in God? Verse 5, And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it on the basins and half of the blood and sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it, read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these um, words. So you see how they first said that they would be obedient. Then the blood was sprinkled upon them. All right. Then, um, then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, um, and as it were, the body of heaven and his clearness. Now, I think that this is an early sight of Jesus, because no man has seen the Father. So I believe when they said that they saw God, that this is an early sign of the Lord coming before them. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand, and they saw God, and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up uh, to me into the mount. Um, be there, and I will give, the, give thee tables of stone and a law, and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Now, you know, if you go to Jeremiah 31 and 31, it wouldn't be all this stuff going on, that they had the Ten Commandments then, but now the Lord would write 
what he wanted for us in our hearts. Okay, so it would no longer be on stone tablets. Instead of the blood being sprinkled on the altar, which was the first thing that was done, it was later sprinkled on the people, which copies... What's that? It'd be like in our nature. Exactly. Which copies what James and Carlin said concerning that the temple of God moved from just the tabernacle that they had, that they moved every day, to Solomon's temple, which, you know, was destroyed. Then they had Herod's temple, which was destroyed. But then Paul says, you are the temple of the living God. So when, they, when he sprinkled them with the blood, the, the um, covenant was a, a symbol of being closer than it was before. Like now the blood would be upon you, that you would be the temple, you would be the sacrifice. So it was like an early sign of what would be. So it just meant that their covenant had to draw closer and closer as, as time went on. The Lord desired more. He would no longer hide his face and be a distance to them. You know, eventually the spirit was imparted. Does that make sense? Or I mean, because if anybody has any questions, please say. I don't want to confuse anyone. All right, Exodus 25 and verse 1. We're almost done with all of this, and then we can get into the other stuff. All right, Exodus 25 and 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Uh, ye shall take my offering. So you have to give willingly with your heart. And this is why I'm telling a lot of people in churches, there's nothing wrong with offerings that you're giving. But don't let anybody push you up under a tithe. That is the Old Testament law. You're not supposed to give grudgingly or of necessity. I mean, you have to, you give with your heart. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. So we should be giving according to what's in your heart. You may give more than 10%, but you're not made to do it. Everything now is so spiritual that it, it's like, We've drawn so close to the Lord that it's almost like he's trusting us, but with his spirit, he wants us to do what he wants. But it's no longer this thing of, I wrote these commandments and I want you to all obey. They'll be written in your heart. When we give our lives to the Lord, our nature will slowly begin to change. So no one's cracking a whip. No one's making you do it. You're becoming like Christ. You know, does that make sense? All right. So he's saying, uh, where am I? <laughs> verse 3 okay and this is the offering which ye shall take um, of them gold and silver and brass and the blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat hair and ram skins dyed red and um, bandages or badger skins and uh, shittim wood oil for a light spice for anointing oil and for sweet incense Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod, uh, ephod uh, and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So you see what the Lord had always desired, a sanctuary amongst us. He never meant to be distanced. With Adam and Eve, the Lord walked in the garden of the cool of the day. I mean, the Lord came before them every day. So the Lord never intended for us to be this mystery that the world is trying to figure out. These are for people that don't want God. For those who want to know him, he'll reveal himself to you. It says uh, in one scripture that he wants to suck with us. That's right. I can't remember that scripture either, but I know which one you're talking about. All right, so from here, we can move along. Let's go to John 6. I know we've been there before, but 
That's a good place. Matter of fact, you guys are going to hate me. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Now we're going to see where this all comes together. Hebrews is at the back. This is one of Henry Groover's favorite um, chapters. I think he taught it the day he came. We met. I met him. All right, everybody there? Almost there. All right, cool. Hebrews 9, verse 1. All right, so it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For what I'm about to read, I encourage anyone who's never heard this, go to soundoftrumpetministries.com, and we did a teaching on You Are the Temple of God. You know, because that explains a lot of stuff. And in that study, we found out we are more like the temple than we know. I mean, even the 12 ribs and everything around the heart, like the throne. And, oh, man, there was just so much information in that, that study. But anyway, um, then verily the first covenant had uh, also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made of the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. So to get a quick glimpse of what this tabernacle is, this tabernacle can be you and it can also be the temple that they had before the tabernacle. But in the tabernacle, you had an outer court, you had an inner court, and you had um, a most holy place. So where they're talking about the table, the table would have been like a type of God the Father that sustains and holds all. Then you would have had the shoe bread that was on the table that Jesus always referred to himself as the bread of life. And then you had the candlestick set up there, like seven candlesticks, which represents the seven spirits of God, which was the Holy Ghost. Okay, but again, that can even be said for us. Body, soul, um, spirit. You know, Egypt, the wilderness, the promised land. You know, uh, regret, remorse, and repentance. You know, so there's always a place where... We start out in the flesh, then we start to move into the soul, and then we go right into the spirit. Does that make sense, or I just confused everybody more? Making sense? All right, cool. So it says, uh, verse 3, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Okay, so you have that. You got the outer court, inner court. But to go into the holiest of all would be like going into the spirit. This is why most people don't know God until you get past that veil. Because Jesus says in um, John 4 that my spirit, um, he said, well, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the only way to know him and his spirit, his words being life, is to get in the spirit. Yeah, Martin. Is there a first veil? Um, like the first veil was where they had the altar of incense when they walked in because between the most, um, the, the outer court and the inner court, I think I have pictures over there of it, but there was an outer court and, you know, to go into the inner court, which was considered a holy place, but it wasn't the most holy place. And this is why the high priest, like in the outer court would have been Gentiles and where everybody congregate together, even some Jews, but then you would have in the inner court would be the Jews alone because they were God's chosen people and they knew the way. But then out of them would be a, a, a high priest 
that would go in once a year for the blood atonement. It was called the Day of Atonement. Now, you know, the high priest, he had to have these 12 jewels around him, and he had to be set up right, because if he tried to go into this place, and, you know, he had one unconfessed sin, they said lightning would strike them in the most holy place, and they would have bells tied to their feet, so people would know when the bells stopped moving, well, time to drag them out, so they would tie them up. But, yeah, from the outer court to the inner court, there is another veil. And I believe that when you start out in your flesh, you're just so world-conscious, when you get into your soul, you become self-conscious because you begin to feel like this isn't right what's going on in my life. You know, something isn't adding up. I've gone to college. I've done this. I'm making money. I'm still sad. I'm still miserable. There's still a void in my life that's not filled. So then when you go through there and you go into the soul, I mean, well, from the soul, you know, it's kind of the place of your mind, your will, and your emotions. You get to know the Lord and the second veil gets taken off. And I believe that's the difference between water baptism and fire baptism. When they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, which was their water repentance. They left the world behind, which was Egypt, the known evil world. And then when they went into the spirit, they crossed the Jordan River, which was the baptism by fire. So I believe that the baptism by fire and going into the most holy place, that's where the gifts and things will manifest. So I believe that's the second veil. Purges. Yeah, it's true. It's almost like if you were to wash your clothes and you put them in water and they still need to be dried out, you throw them in the dryer. That takes care of the lint and everything else that's, you know, mm -hmm. so it's just kind of funny. All right, everybody understand so far? All right, verse 4. Which had the golden center and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold? Wherein was the gold the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant. So when you get to the most holy place, you have a pot of manna which shows that God sustains, okay, that he would take care of your every need in the spirit. And this is why I'm not worrying about what the world can do. You get in the spirit with Christ. He's going to do things for you, that you're no longer looking for outside sources. You're being sustained daily. That's what the manna means. When you get to... Um, Aaron's rod that budded, that is your authority that you have in Christ because you believe Christ. And then you have the tables of the covenant, which is God's law, which is the word of God. So all those things put together, you can't just know the word and not have the spirit. you got to have both. You don't want to be so spiritual that you don't know the word because there's a lot of people like that. They, they're spirit-filled, but they don't know the word of God. But you can't be someone that's all top-heavy knowing the word and not having the spirit because you know so there has to be a balance where you where you have these things so that's what's in the most holy place that's what you can expect you have god's authority in the spirit you're sustained daily because jesus is the bread of life and then you have um you know the the tables that the lord wrote the ten commandments and if to sum them up the first five are loving your lord your god with all your heart mind and soul the second five are loving your neighbor as yourself. So when you do that, that's already, that's written in you. So that will automatically make you like Christ. You know, just obeying him, verse 5. And over it the cherubims of glory, which are like angels, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now um, speak particularly. Why they say this is because at that point, they might have seen what the Ark of the Covenant looked like in the mercy seat, but they have never seen the heavenly seat and what that looks like. 
So you can't really say what's here and what's there and how that's going to be. They might have seen visions, Isaiah and Ezekiel. But, you know, the Bible says what Paul says, we all see through a glass but darkly. Mm -hmm. So no one has a full revelation of God. Anybody tell you that, they're lying to you. All right, so uh, verse 6. Now when these things were thus um, ordained and priests went, went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So you go into the first tabernacle, it's, the, it's accomplishing the service. You're doing what the Lord wants, you're repenting, you're moving forward. Then it says, but unto the second went the high priest alone once every year, um, not without blood, which, was, which he offered for, for himself and for the errors of the people. So when this went on every year, this was all to deal with the sins that people had. You know, imagine going in there every year, no, all, all sins confessed, and you had to be right in order to make the sacrifice right. Thank God for Jesus. Verse, seven, uh, verse 8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying the way into the holiest of all, was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Why? Because, you know, Jesus didn't come as the perfect sacrifice. When you have the perfect sacrifice that does it for all times, now the Spirit can come. But before Jesus came, the closest we would ever get to God was you might see manifestations of the Holy Ghost, or he would appear, do a miracle, and leave. But this time, you know, the Lord meant for it to be imparted to us all. This is what the blood of Jesus opens up, that we can have the Spirit in us so that we may be like Christ. Because with all these religious rituals, you were no closer to God, really, than anybody else. You had to do this again and again and again to receive his um, blessings. All right, verse 9 which was a figure of the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him uh, that, that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So you see, all these rituals in Moses' law, when you did wrong, they stoned you or whatever happened, it wasn't enough to make a man perfect. A man can be made perfect now because the Holy Ghost deals with your conscience. Hey, you know that was wrong. Repent, get it right, we'll move forward. So, you know, the Lord really did open up that holy place because before then you had to do all this stuff. Verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So we understand that when you go to Peter, Peter talked about us being lively stones. We would no longer be this place. And this is why people always tell you, I want to go to church. I want to do this. You can't go to church. You've got to be the church. You are the church. What is the church? The ecclesia, those that are separated unto God. So we make up the church. When people are not in the church, it's just a building with no lights on. I mean, you know, it's all about being made like Christ. All right, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes of an heifer, sprinkling an unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, whom shall 
I mean, whom through uh, the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now that's a question. He's saying, man, if that was an atonement once a year, just as one lamb or bullock or whatever you brought in as a sacrifice to God, then how much greater would it be for the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to come and do this? Now, verse 15, and for this cause, he is a mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the, res for the redemption of the transgressions, that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Uh, for where the testament is, there must also be necessity of the death of the testator. So it's true. It's like, well, wherever a testament is, if, if, Christ, if Christ didn't die for our sins and resurrect, then all of this would have been for absolutely nothing. We don't believe Jesus because he died on the cross. We believe Jesus because he died and rose again. Because if he died on the cross, it might have been a tragic death, but he died just like any other man. What would be the big thing? So I don't want to believe that when people say Jesus died on the cross, and then you got Christians everywhere shouting for Jesus and wanting to be of the Spirit, even when it cost these people their lives, you're telling me all of that sprang up just from something that didn't happen? Those people saw Jesus come back and walk with them for 40 days and tell them the promise of staying in Jerusalem and waiting for the Spirit to come upon them. So, I mean, you know, what they saw was real. And when God becomes as real to you, no one can tell you that he doesn't exist. All right, where am I? 17 or 18? Okay, for the testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Exactly. So there has to be a sacrifice. And this even speaks of us. If we are going to become sacrificial lambs, then we do have to die out to self and be alive to God. Because God the Father does not trust you and me to get the job done. He trusts Christ in us to get the job done. Because he knows Christ was the only one that was righteous. So, you know, we really do have to lose self for Christ. Now, it doesn't mean we can't live in the world and do things. Yeah, we can, but it will be different because our feelings and emotions will be governed by God. You know, so he'll give us the desires of our hearts, but we have to, too, also, you know, do what he calls first. Mm -hmm. He's leading us. Verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people. Now, we just read this, okay? Saying, this is the blood of the testament, which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. All right, anybody have anything to add or they want to say before we close out this chapter and uh, move on? Does everybody understand so far? Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. You know, we became the temple of God. Everybody good? All right. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Okay, so if we don't accept Jesus Christ as for what he has done, there is no remission for our sins. That means that at the end of time when we don't know him, You've got to pay this debt, and we don't have enough money. 
You ain't got enough love in your heart like you think so. There, he was perfect unto death. We don't have enough to pay for this. It's almost like someone that we talked about the other day, God offering you, I mean, a great art, masterpiece. I don't know, whatever, whatever it is you desire, golden, whatever, worth billions or trillions or zillions of dollars. Here you go. And you tell the Lord, well, all I have is a penny, you know, because I'm broke, but you can have it. That's pretty much what you're trying to do. That's an insult to God instead of just accepting what he's offering you. You can't pay that debt, nor do you want to. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, I mean, it'll be just like in court. I heard Gary Price say one time, I tried to look for that teaching again, and I can't find it, but he said to deny what Jesus did would be like you in court. Now, everybody saw every sin you committed. All right? You got no lawyer before you. The devil is an astute attorney. Yes, I talked him into doing it. I believed that, you know, I got him to believe in all this other stuff, all this philosophy. And now, Your Honor, this man is guilty. I even brought in everybody he was guilty with so everybody can see it. You know, and you sit there and the Lord stands up in court. Hey, whoa, whoa, before the judge comes down with the gavel. Hey, he's with me. I got this. I paid that debt 2,000 years ago. If you charge this man again for the same sins... That's double jeopardy. But imagine us saying, you're about to do 150 years in prison. All right? And imagine us saying, nah, man, I got it. I'm all right. Don't worry about it. I'm strong. I, I, I can handle it. I, I'm sure I can. That's a debt we cannot pay. Yeah. Where am I? Verse 23 or 24? 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. So, you know, we, we did take a part of the heavenly spirit or the, of the heavenly when we accept Jesus Christ and what he had done for our sacrifice and the Holy Ghost gets imparted to us. Verse 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's why he said he would write, the, 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 not on stone tablets, but write in our hearts, because that's the only place that Jesus Christ wants to go. And that's not a thing of feelings. There will be truth in there, but he will definitely work with your heart. And this is why you can't really know him unless you give in. Verse 25, Nor yet that uh, he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared and put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So think about what Jesus did here. When he stepped in and he died for you and me, that even occurred for those who believed God, even though they weren't perfect, but those who believed him before. You know, so they said when Jesus died, and I can't find the scripture offhand, I can't remember it, but when he died, the old saints and prophets, when he, um, when he died, they came up <laughs> and were walking the streets. I mean, you would have seen Abraham, Moses, all these guys walking the streets, singing praise, going into the heavens. You know, so that that's pretty awesome to think about, that he did it for them too. Um, verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, 
So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Two quick key points. The Bible says it's permitted for man once to die and after that the judgment. You know, uh, Hinduism will tell you that you got another life. You'll come back as a dung beetle, a little Dutch boy. You can be all this other stuff. You know, you can come back as Joan of Arc. They believe in um, reincarnation, but no one has ever observed this. But the Bible is saying you're permitted once to die. So we only have one life to live, okay? And then it talks about in, in 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. So if you're looking for Christ, this means for those who love Christ. This means for those who hate the world. Because you can't look for Christ. You can't wait on his appearing if you love everything here. If you love everything here, then why would you want him to come and kill your fun? This means you hate the world. This means you hate so many things that are in this world. You just can't wait for Jesus to come. So when it says look for his appearing, that means, man, you only got one hope. Yeah, I'm in this life. Yes, I can share laughs. Yes, I love others. But Lord, come soon. Lord, come quickly. I can't stand it here. I hate this flesh. I hate the world governments. I bought a house and repossessed. I bought a car. It was, you know, stolen or, or taken away. You know, I got married and my marriage failed. All these things going on. Lord, what have you got for me? And that's why when disappointment comes in our life, let's not be so quick to shove that aside and say, you know, this is not, this is not of God. Because I think every day we should embrace it because the Lord wants us to lean on him so we can know what it is to live for the first time in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, void of all this other stuff. What time is it? Someone was, um, someone pointed out, I heard someone say something very important. And they said that some, some people that die, they live a better life mm -hmm. when they're dead than they're alive. I believe it in some ways if you if you know Christ. Mm -hmm. Like like there's people that are alive but they're not they're mm -hmm. dead inside, you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the Lord cares like we talked about before too. You can die at twenty years old for all the Lord cares. If you know Jesus and you have done his will, welcome home, son. That's what this is about. This is what the covering of the blood is. This is what grace is all about. You know, and it's like we might feel like, man, but I never got married or I never did this or that. Man, you step into the presence of the Lord. You're going to forget all this stuff because you're going to know what it, man, this is real life. I know that's hard to imagine for us because we've gotten so used to carnal life. But man, in the, they say absence from the body is to be present with the Lord. And believe me, you will not want to come back here. Believe me, I know that this sounds all glorious. But when you get there, <laughs> man, all you care about is, Lord, wherever you go, I'm going. When you come back on your horse, with your people, I want to be at the right side of you riding into town. That's all you're going to care about. We will know what it is to live. Now, if that's hard for us, that means that there's still some flesh that we need to get rid of. Because, I mean, you know, a lot of people would look at that as doom and gloom. Man, like, yeah, but I got so much to do. That means you love the world. And we need to be realistic with ourselves with that. And we need to tell, you know, ask the Lord, Lord, take away whatever it is that's making me not follow you completely. Because remember, the mark of the beast will be instituted, but it's going to be instituted with all the perks that you see now. 
Okay, you know, you want to eat, you want to do all this, you want a nice job, well, you're going to have to accept this mark. But see, for those who have Christ, they're unplugged from this. Say, man, you can take it. Let's go to John 6. trying to be righteous in himself. And I mean, it's just so funny. Like, imagine having to do all this stuff in the law. Imagine doing all that, man, sacrificing the bullock at six. All this stuff going on. You probably lived in fear because if somebody caught you doing wrong, hey, and according to the law, see, the law law is cold. The law is legal. Even though the law, I'm not going to say the law is unrighteous because the Bible says it's righteous, but the law will give you this thing of, hey, you knew the rules tie them up, you know, and it's like non-negotiable, but with Christ, you can talk your problems out, Lord, I messed up, Lord, help me through this, give me strength, you are an ever-present help in my time of need, this is what you want, because according to the law, the only people, okay, that were not crucified, or I mean, not crucified, or stoned, or anything, well, most of those people were never caught doing what they were doing, because in some cases, you had to have two witnesses, there had to be two people that had seen you do it. But a lot of those people, I mean, with some exceptions, maybe Abraham, you know, well, Abraham was before the law, but like Moses, you know, and others. But even Moses did something that caused him not to go into the promised land. So, you know, you there's no way to be perfect outside of Christ. But we're going to John 6. John 6 and... Um, hmm. Uh, verse 24, John 6 and 24, we'll zip through this. All right, John 6 and 24, and it says, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Aren't they loyal? Verse 25, And when they found him uh, on the other side of the sea, They said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou here? What are you doing here, master? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. So what were these people seeking Jesus for? Carnal means. They didn't want to be in his presence. They wanted, hey, what can you do? Exactly. Yeah, you found a free, you know, place to eat. And see how bold Jesus is. Verse 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. All right. Uh, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? So you see how people are looking to work their way in instead of just accepting what Christ can give them. That's man in his pride. 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him who hath sent, who he hath sent. That's all you have to do. If you believe God, 
you know, you believe in his word and, and all of him being true, man, the spirit will impart to you because you're going his way. Verse 30, they said, therefore unto him, what sign shewest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Now, remember, Jesus said that a wicked and perverse generation seeketh after a sign. These guys are looking for a sign. 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're using scripture to try and meet their means. You see this in churches everywhere. This is why you got Creflo Dollar, Joe Osteen, all these guys telling you, well, see, the Lord says that if you give, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So if that's the case, why aren't you giving? How can the gospel only apply to me and I'm worth billions of dollars, I mean, only to you, and I'm worth millions of dollars, and I'm telling everybody the Lord loves when you give. And then I'll read Malachi 10 to try and let you know you're robbing God. So, but while you're building your chest full of treasure, how about you giving? If what you said is true, that if giving is what's going to get back, then why aren't you giving if you believe that? Their job is to make a fool of you. Verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto you. And this is why the Bible says, If you seek the Lord first, all these things will be added unto us. 34. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. So these guys are still looking to fill their carnal stomachs. They're not even thinking about seeking Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Uh, but I said unto you uh, that ye also have seen me and believe not. See, so no sign made a difference. They saw miracles and they still didn't believe. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And that means for all. Okay, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which uh, he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but shall raise up again on that last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up that last day. The Jews then murmured against him because they said, I am the bread of I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, um, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? So before he was rabbi, but now that he's not meeting their needs concerning food, he's just a regular man. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? But this is how people can have their hands stretched high in church. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then they get a bill that they're about to get evicted. And now God is reduced to, you know, nobody. Now it's time to start relying on everybody else because I'm in real trouble. Not only am I in trouble, I'm panicking. I'm even questioning whether or not God exists. Because if he existed, certainly he would take care of this. This is just how these people are. When their needs are being met, oh, they believe him when there's no danger. When danger comes or trouble comes, I don't even know if God exists. You know, so we got to get past this and know that he is God no matter what. All right, verse, uh, I want to skip down a little bit. 
Uh, let's go to 47, verse 47, and it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So you see where he was the manna? Mm -hmm. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. So see, they got their fill of the world, but now they're gone. He's talking about everlasting life. Verse 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him uh, give is my flesh, which I will give uh, for the life of the world. So right away he's talking about the bread he's going to give is his sacrifice. We can accept it or we can reject it. The Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they're carnal minded. They, don't, they still don't get it. Verse 53, And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. So when he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it's also like a consuming of him. So this is Christ being formed. What's that? This right here. That's right. You know, his word, and I mean Christ formed in us. So he said, for anyone has Christ formed in him, I'm going to be back for him on the last day. Verse uh, uh, 55. It's 55, I think. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 55. Okay. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, but... He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. So that's Christ in us. And the living Father, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, he shall uh, live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? So what are they really saying? Because, because, um, um, because he didn't, like, give in to their carnal means or their carnal ways because he tried to explain to them, I am the bread, in, uh, the, I'm the bread of life. So because... They didn't satisfy their fleshly nature. Now, all of a sudden, it's a hard saying because he's trying to tell them the truth. Right. But what is it that they don't want to get rid of? Their flesh. flesh. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they I love understand. what they do. So that's why even if we tell people, hey, man, get into Jesus. He get into you. Forsake this and the Lord will take care of us. And most people are. I mean, that was kind of hard for me, too. You know, I mean, like. And that's why the Lord slowly takes things out of us. He knows not to take everything from us, as we talked about last week. He doesn't snatch it all away from you at once. He places his spirit in you when you decide to follow him, and you start to lose the nature for a lot of things. Yeah. So those things will come off of you slowly. It's not a, you know, and this is why a lot of people walk away from, you know, church people, because they love to, don't do this, don't do that. You know, they man, clean your fish before you, I mean, you know, catch your fish before you clean them. 
Yeah. But people start cleaning them off before the Lord can even work with them. And it's like, whoa, let the, how did you get saved? You didn't obey right away. None of us did everything that we were supposed to the moment we got saved. It was a slow process that he took us through to where we began to think like Christ. All right, so where am I? All right, so they said this is a hard saying. To me, he's not saying anything that hard. But um, many, therefore, all right, verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What if ye, what if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend uh, up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So he's saying, like, all right, you guys are murmuring, you're upset about this. What if you got to see me leave here? And I and I imparted the spirit unto you that you would get the promise, the same that Peter and them had. What if you saw me ascend? Would that be worth it? You know, that's pretty much what he's saying to them. So then it's like, all right, the spirit quickened of 64. But there are some of you that believe not. Now, these are his disciples. These aren't strangers. Some of them don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, uh, said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my father. So the reason why we all get a thirst for God's word, a thirst to want to follow Jesus, a thirst to understand who he is, is because the father said, go get that person. And the Holy Ghost obeys. So it's not something where you think you just decide to make a choice. It's miraculous intervention that the Lord comes and says, I want this person. You know, go get them for me. So, you know, we must be pretty special, right? He wants to save us. We must mean something to God. I don't mean like puffed up in pride. 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Again, this occurs in John six sixty six. So you can say this group here pretty much received the mark of the beast. They said, I'll take the beast. They had reached their end with the Lord. They were following him. It was great when the miracles were being performed, when he was sustaining you. But now the Lord is saying, hey, you're going to have to go out and trust me. I need you to walk into the promised land. And this is where many turn around and go back. This is too hard. I can't give the Lord prayer. I can't give him control over my life. I need to do the things that I enjoy doing. So, you know, they turned away. And the Bible says they walked no more with him. So he turns to his 12, you know, will you go away also? Verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So that ought to tell you, you know, that Jesus Christ, I mean, look at the small minority that wanted Christ versus the world. I mean, these were, some people say it was the 70 disciples. I know that he fed this mass of 4,000, and these are the same people. So the majority of those people walked away. Hey, man, I'm not giving him anything. I love what I love. Forget Jesus. That's how they felt. Let's go to uh, 1 John 1. It always, a lot of times it seems like there's a small, a small group that was um, separate from the ones that didn't, that were disobedient. Mm -hmm. Like the um, the group of Noah, mm -hmm. uh, the group that was in the town of um, Abraham and Lot mm -hmm. that were saved. Mm -hmm. So, No, totally. Yeah, there's always a small percentage. 
Everybody is not going into the promise. And even even with the group of uh, the ten virgins. That's it, right. It was Five half were of foolish. Them. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's true. They'll pack your lunch for you, but they ain't going to see you. All right. First John and 1, and it says, this is about the blood. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which have... Um, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have uh, seen it, and bear witness and shew unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So what is that eternal life? The Holy Ghost. They have accepted the blood, they're covered by the blood, and they have the Holy Ghost. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declared we unto you, that ye may, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is the Father and with uh, and, and with His Son Jesus Christ. So imagine meeting these two one day. You're going to meet the Creator of the universe, and it's an invitation for us. Verse four, and these things write we unto you, and your joy may be full. So, see, we might experience some joy, but he's talking about full joy. Does anybody know what that is? I think the closest thing coming to that may be a mother giving birth. That might be the fullness of human joy. I don't even think being rich gives you that, because now you got to worry about who's trying to steal from you. You know, who's really your friend and who isn't. Verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declared unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, um, oh, okay, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the goal is to eventually have all sin drop from our lives when we are in total obedience to the Spirit of God. This is verse 8. Um, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 9. This is the key. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness with his shed blood. So, you know, when we do wrong, confess it to the Lord. The Lord knows what we think. He knows what we do. Lord, I've done this. Help me through it. You know, don't excuse it. Don't try and take anything out of it. Well, I don't understand how it just happened. Let's just confess it before them. And every day he'll make us more and more like him. Let's go to uh, Revelation 12. What time is it? Because I don't want to go past. Uh, 935. 935? 925. All right, yeah, we're about to end. Revelation 12. The lady's favorite book. All right, Revelation 12 and 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon at her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. So this is the tribes, this is Israel, and these are the tribes, the twelve stars. And she being with child, uh, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. 
and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. And there behold, there behold, um, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now we know that this happened to Jesus when um, Herod wasn't sure who Jesus Christ was. He saw the star. He knew it was Jesus. Herod gave the same commandment that the Egyptians did, kill all firstborns. What is it, two years old and under? All right, so then it says, uh, verse 5, And she brought forth a man-child, which was Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a, a place prepared of God, that her feet, that, that they should feed her um, there a thousand two hundred and three score days, so three and a half years. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And the dragon and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out unto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice say in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. So while Jesus Christ was on the cross, that this was the devil's defeat. He learned at that point when Jesus died for our sins, he imparted the spirit to man. Man could now be redeemed because God himself became a man, so man could be redeemed. So this is where the angels are actually saying, while all this is going on, now has come salvation and strength. Because, you know, Christ pretty much won the victory. Unfortunately, even though the war might be won, there's still battles to fight with us. Are we going to be a part of it? Are we going with him? You know, this is what's important. So then it says, uh, therefore, where am I? Okay, a day and night. So the devil was allowed to accuse us before God. I mean, and I guess he was excellent at us. Every little thing we did, he went before God. And it was stuck to us and stuck to us until the coming of Christ. Once Jesus died, resurrected, and came up there, every time the devil tells God something you're doing, it's like the Lord is. I don't even want to hear it. He's with me. Ignore this clown up here. You know, he's got no power here. I've now taken over. And the Father gave Jesus all dominion. You know, talk to the hand. But anyway, verse 11, and it says, And they overcame who? Who did they overcome? Satan by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. So what we got to understand here, the blood of the Lamb, which is what cleansed them, and the word of their testimony, believing in Jesus Christ to the end. That word for um, testimony is witness, which is another word for martyr. Okay, or martyrio is the name in the Greek. Doesn't mean we're going to be that way, but I'm just saying we have to hold tight to the faith unto the end. But they love not their lives. So what does that tell you? They couldn't wait for the coming of Christ. So when the blood washes us clean, we don't care about this life. If we care about this life still, then there's more of us that needs to be clean. That's fine. As long as we're in the process of being cleansed. But when you decide, when you're cleaned in the spirit, man, 
carnal matters don't even really mean much to you. It's just like, man, whatever. When you find yourself talking more about God than you do about man stuff all day, you know, man, you, you're getting cleansed. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we have to give ourselves that, you know, we have to allow the Lord to wash us clean in his blood. All right, so they overcame the, you know, with the blood of the Lamb. That is the only way. When the enemy sees you, no matter what he does to try and destroy you, if he sees that blood over your lamppost, or on your forehead, or anywhere placed on you or around you, he's got to pass over you. He's got to let you go. You have a legal right with Christ that he has no jurisdiction. As far as the rest of the world, he's like, well, they're, they're, you know, I'm here to do what I need to do. I'm going to wipe out everybody that God's not in control of. Revelation 1, and we're done. I'm going to read this real quick. One sec, guys. Uh, this is uh, Hebrews 1. I'm just going to zip. It's just a quick point. And it says, God who had sundry times in a diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, uh, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So Jesus made the worlds. Verse 3 who being in the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, uh, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. So Jesus himself purged our sins, you know, so that he may sit on the, on the right hand of majesty. And what's in store for us will be the exact same thing. Christ intends to rule with his bride. You know, he wants us up there with him. Where he's on his throne at the right hand of the Father, we be before him. He doesn't intend to leave us as nothing. All right, Revelation 1, we'll start at verse 11. And it says, this is Jesus saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send unto the um, seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and the Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven uh, sticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a, with a garment, down to the foot, and girt about uh, the paps uh, with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and his... Uh, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, it is as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. So Jesus doesn't have a little soft, sensitive voice. Jesus speaks, man, like a roaring sea, you know, because everyone tries to paint this picture of an effeminized, weak Jesus. You know, Jesus is king of kings. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. All right, where am I? Uh, Verse 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the a sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, 
Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of hell and death. Now, this is why the Lord tells us, don't fear who can destroy the body. You fear who can destroy the body and throw the soul in hell. Okay, so Jesus, even death and hell, obey him. Okay, so death is a state. Hell is a place and a state, I believe, because it talked about, remember with the um, fourth uh, beast or the fourth horseman, they said that death, which is the Greek word Thanatos, was, you know, riding, you know, destroying, and hell was following after him. So, I mean, it was obviously like a place, you know, or maybe a holding tank, but an actual entity. And um, uh, the, the guy that was, um, he was dead, and he was speaking to Christ saying, please let me go back and tell them. Oh, yeah. Um, so I can warn them about this place. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, Jake knows that one by heart, but... It's, um, you know, it's just awesome to think about the dominion and the power of Jesus Christ, because if we really knew who he was, you would want to get to know him for real. I mean, Jesus is, I mean, people make all these movies about Superman and all these other guys, and Superman wouldn't want to go one round with Christ, okay, just to show you. He doesn't use physical weapons. He speaks things into existence. So, you know, it's just an awesome thing about just allowing the blood to come upon us, believing in Christ, understanding what he's about, and, you know, letting him work with us. Because he is our only hope. He is our only savior. If we have other ways of thinking that we're going to make it, I'm telling you, he understands the spirit realm. Those are things we don't understand. And we say, Lord, why shouldn't I go to a palm reader? Because Jesus has eyes deep enough to see behind that palm reader is a little demon, you know, trying to tell you this and that to get you to obey Satan. Yeah. All right, if no one has anything else to add, we can close out. But everybody has an understanding about the blood, the power of the blood. That is God's authority. That is you being identified with the Lord. Okay, so he cleanses us. He strengthens us. And we identify ourselves with him by accepting of the blood. So his work was no easy job. All right, let's go out and pray. Anybody want to pray? Anybody in particular? Everybody good? All right, Sarah. Can you pray? Yeah. All right. I meant that seriously because she's been sick, so good. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight, Lord. And I want to thank you for... Another day that you've given to us, Lord. I want to thank you for all the things that you've done for us, Lord, because you are our strength. You are our only provider and strong tower. Lord, it is so evident that the enemy, Satan, is trying to come against this ministry. He's trying to come against your body mightily, Lord, because we are bringing forth the truth. And I'm praying tonight, Lord, in the name of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, for you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that all the attacks that are coming against this body, Lord, that they be broken today in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm praying that whatever we are going through, Lord, that we give ourselves over to you. Lord, that we continue to go through, that we get to that breakthrough point, Lord, because I, I believe that we are drawing closer to you. 
Lord, we are living in the last days, and we cannot get caught up with politics, and we cannot get caught up with false religions, anything that is anti-Christ, Lord. We have to stay focused on you, Lord. We have to cling to you in all things, Lord, because you are the only one that's never broken a promise with us. And, Lord, and you are the only one that can fill that void in our lives because we are living in a very present-day evil and wicked society, Lord, and the truth is evil in a wicked society. And we have to be bathed in your Holy Spirit every day, Lord. With all the wickedness that's going on around us, Lord, we at least give this world eight hours, Lord, maybe even more. So, Lord, let us be cleansed. Let us be filled with your Holy Ghost. Put an outpouring of your Holy Ghost so greatly upon this ministry, Lord, that we will go out and preach and teach your gospel, Lord, that we will say exactly what you have us to say, Lord. To not have any fear of loss of family or friends or jobs, Lord, let us not compromise in our faith. Lord, we do not have anything in this world because of what we've done, Lord. It is because of your hand. Lord, if you've given us a job, I pray that we take your truth to that job, Lord. Because the enemy's going to try and come against us. Let us go out boldly, Lord. Everything that we do be for Jesus Christ. Because you shed your blood upon that cross on Calvary, Lord, so we could have salvation. So we might, Lord, on that last day, enter into the kingdom of heaven. But we have to continue to run the race that you have set before us. I thank you again, Lord, for all the things that you've done for us. Let all men of thought and conversation glorify the name of Jesus, the name above all names. You're the only one that deserves all the praise, the glory, and the honor for everything that you've done for us. Let us take on the full armor of God because that is our defense against the enemy, Lord Jesus Christ. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Guide and direct and lead us into your truths and into all truths. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.